Good morning, good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. I am loving studying the life of Abraham in this blessing series we're in, and we are diving deep today, so I hope you are ready for a spirit-empowered deep dive. You ready? All right. Well, one of the things that happens to all of us is that we experience crises, and that is something that our world is so, uh, so getting used to, unfortunately. Different families have different stories that they pass on, and I, I've been very blessed to have a very humble father who would tell us the mistakes he's made in order for us as his children to not make the same mistakes. And uh, years ago, probably, man, probably 30 years ago, there was a crisis that hit where I was living. I grew up in Austin, Texas. It hit Central Texas, and it was a fire ant crisis. And um, if you're from California, this is not an excited relative when I talk about a fire ant. Um, talking about those biting insects. And we, um, we grew up on a ranch, and so all of a sudden, there are these, these big uh, mounds, these big anthills popping up everywhere. And it was really actually dangerous for your cattle if, if there was a fire ant mound. When cattle give birth and they lay the calf on the ground, the ants could swarm them and kill them. It was also incredibly aggravating for us children as you'd be running across the lawn. All of a sudden, you'd step in a fire ant bed, and your feet are on fire, and it's stinging. It's really painful. At that time, there was all this kind of thought of how are we going to get rid of this crazy fire ant epidemic. And uh, it, sadly, around that time, my grandfather died. But as my grandfather died, he, he left a, a nice inheritance or sum of money for my dad. So, of course, the thought is, okay, what do I do with this sum of money? And as this epidemic of ants was so, so on the forefront of people's minds, dad thought, you know, okay, I'm going to kill two birds with one stone because at the same time, someone approached dad and said, I have now come up with an environmentally safe ant killer. And so dad thought, this is great. I'm going to take this money. I'm going to invest it in this ant killer. It hadn't got it as its EPA number, that's the Environmental Protection Agency number, but it's about to get it, so I'm gonna invest in this and I'll get all the ant killer I need and I'll turn this sum of money into a much greater profit. At that time, there was another investment that, that came his way and it was a tiny little startup computer company that no one had heard of called Dell Computers. And so my, my great uncle decided to invest about the same amount of money in Dell Computers. My dad invested in the ant killer thinking that is the main crisis that's going on. I probably can tell you the story you could probably already guess. Within one year, the ant killer, this environmentally safe ant killer, never got its EPA number, its Environmental Protection Agency number. Uh, and my dad lost all the money. Uh, incidentally, in one year, all the ants decided to go somewhere. I have no idea where ants go, um, but the ants just left, and our, our ranch was saved, and really, we didn't see them again. My great uncle uh, would die a handful of years later, and at his death, he surprised us all when he had turned that little sum of money that he invested in that small startup company called Dell Computers into a $58 million gift. Uh, to the Texas Baptist Children's Home. My dad would always joke back and talk about that investment where he lost everything. My uncle was able to give a $58 million gift 
away as an opportunity to take time and seek the Lord. Not to just react to the crisis around you, but to respond to the voice of God. And that's what I want to look at today as we look at the voice of God in Abraham's life. Last week and the week before, we talked about how God called Abraham on this journey, this journey that didn't really make sense to leave Ur of the Chaldeans and to go to a place where he really didn't know about, but where God would show him. And then he gets there and God says, I'm gonna bless you. And he doesn't just say that. After that, he actually comes to this land and God says, I'm gonna give you this land. But today we're gonna talk on the title of how to avoid disastrous detours. How to avoid disastrous detours. I'd write this down because this could save you so much pain, so much frustration, so much heartache, and actually help you set up the next generations in your line for blessing by what we learn from Abraham's mistake. Genesis 12.10. Now there was a famine in the land. Now there was a famine in the land. It's crazy in the Bible how many times we will see famine, how many times we will see disasters that hit the whole earth. And this is something that we're very accustomed to. I think you probably are naturally thinking, wow, we've just had a disaster. We've just had this COVID-19 pandemic. We've had social uh, and political problems. There are problems that will come on the earth. Let me just tell you what Jesus says in Matthew 24, 6 through 8. He says, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. These are the beginnings of birth pains. So Abraham, we're seeing, is experiencing something like this in his life, right after a promise from God. It says, now there was a famine in the land, back to Genesis 12.10, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. If I had a more colloquial name for this sermon, it would be, don't just go down to Egypt. Don't just go down to Egypt. When there's a problem, don't just head for Egypt. But unfortunately, that's what Abram did. Let me just give you a little context here. Let's look at this map again. So if you remember, Abram heard God and Ur of the Chaldeans. He went on this crazy long journey. He got stuck in Haran for a while because if you remember, he wasn't fully obedient. He took his dad with him, even though he was supposed to leave his whole family. Anytime we're partially obedient, it, it leads to partial blessings. So he gets stuck in Haran for a long time, but finally he gets it through a thick skull and says, okay, I'm going the whole way. And he goes down to Canaan, the promised land. And we're thinking, this is awesome. He, God shows up to him in the promised land. It doesn't say, I'm just going to bless you. No, he says, I'm going to give you this whole land. He's looking around going, oh my gosh, this is actually better than Ur of the Chaldeans. I'm going to get this whole land. But then, boom, tragedy strikes. Crisis happens in the world. And famine comes. And he's going, wait, what? God, I thought you were going to bless me. Well, God, following your voice isn't working so much for me, so i got to follow my own wisdom. And what does he do? He packs up and heads to Egypt. So he packs up and heads to Egypt. Did God tell him to do that? No, but it just seemed like a great idea. Let's look at the Hebrew word for Egypt for a minute because this is so often what happens to us. The Hebrew word for Egypt is Mitzrayim. Now, the root for this, this is really interesting, the root of Egypt is 
pressed in. So oftentimes when we're pressed in, that's when we make these anxious decisions based in fear. And what does it lead to? It leads to the enemy coming into our life. This is another word for this root word of Egypt, the enemy coming in, and it always leads to trouble. In this world, you will have trouble, is what Jesus says. In this world, you will feel pressed in, but don't just head to Egypt. Don't take a disastrous detour. So how can we avoid disastrous detours? That's what I want to talk about today, but let's look at this whole story for a moment. Let's jump really in. Hopefully, you've opened your Bible in front of you. You're going to want to highlight some of these words. Genesis 12, 10 through 20. Now, there was a famine in the land. Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. I say that to Steph often. I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say, you are my sister, so that I'll be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken. And she was taken into his palace. That's Pharaoh's palace. He treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female servants, donkeys, oh, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why didn't you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Let's talk about how to avoid a disastrous situation because this summer, as I have to travel abroad for a conference we're having, I'm really hoping not to show up in that country and the president to see how beautiful Stephanie is and take her away from me. This would not be good. Abram ended up with a disastrous, an absolutely disastrous circumstance, not only for him, but even more so for his wife, and it led to a serious infliction in a country, and it led to a pretty humiliating time of him getting rebuked. How do we avoid disastrous detours? Number one, respond to the voice of the Lord. Respond to the voice of the Lord. The most common way we make a disastrous detour is in when we react to an external circumstance instead of respond to the voice of the Lord. Right, we have these natural responses in our flesh, the fight or flight. And so you will have, you're going to have trouble in life. But the man or woman of God is to restrain themselves from just their fleshly response. Someone say something, you want to say something back. Someone slaps you, you want to slap them back. Someone cuts you off in the car, you want to say something back or, or give them a, a nice number one sign. You, someone, someone comes and, and, and takes things or so, there's a, a crisis that comes into your life. We want to react to it. But the key is to actually wait and respond to 
the Lord. I mean, we're seeing this so often in the day and age we live to, the day and age we live in, right? There's, there's so many crises that are coming at us. There's, there's increased violence. There's, there's, increased, there's increased government challenges that people are going, what in the world? I just keep getting more and more challenges. I, I'm, ha- I'm having more challenges with, with different things that are going on. And oftentimes people are just reacting. They're leaving their jobs or they're leaving the place they're called to or they're leaving their spouse because they're just reacting to crisis. And in the end, they're going to wake up and they will have been taken from. The enemy will have taken from them. In the end, Abraham had his wife taken away because he reacted. Number two, how do we avoid these kind of things? How do we avoid disastrous detours? Make decisions in faith. Make decisions in faith. Here's the problem. When you react to a circumstance by your own faculties, then you start living in fear. Uh, Let me save you a lot of pain in life. Anytime you're making a decision out of fear, that decision is not full of faith in God. You're not created to make a decision in fear. Anytime you're up late at night going, okay, what, what's going to happen to my kids, and are, are they going to do this, and then you, you start making a decision from that place, that's not pleasing to God. Why? Because the Bible says faith is pleasing to God. So we don't make decisions on fear, we make decisions by faith. I can't tell you how many times I see people, and I've seen people buy homes out of fear, well, there's never going to be a better time to buy homes. And so they buy a home and then they get locked into something. It's like an albatross tied around their neck. I've seen people leave the state. They had a serious call here, but they left because they're like, oh my gosh, things are just getting bad. I'm going to leave. I've seen people leave their spouses based on fear. I've seen people pull their kids out of the place where they're supposed to be just because of fear. I've seen people pull their money, right, or, 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 or spend their money. I've seen all kinds of decisions that absolutely cripple people because of fear. It says this, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is my wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. So he has this kind of spirit of fear that comes on him. Why? He, he didn't need to head to Egypt anyway, but when you start making decisions that are just reacting, then you have to start living out of your own logic and your own rationale. Here's the next thing we see there. Don't compromise or sin to protect yourself. How to avoid a disastrous detour? Don't compromise or sin to protect yourself. You see, Abraham all of a sudden starts trying to protect himself. He's like, oh my gosh, if we, now that I'm heading to Egypt, now that I've already decided that, they're going to see how beautiful you are, and that's going to affect me. All of a sudden, he is violating the, the, the commands of the Bible of putting his wife before him. Now he's thinking about him. I've seen so many men destroy their families because they put themselves first. Where scripture talks about husbands laid down your life for your wife. But you see, he's, he's now concerned about it. He, he's going, okay, wife, step in front of me because Pharaoh's gonna come after me. He's using Sarai as a human shield. This is absolutely awful. Because you got to understand, our disastrous detours don't just affect us, they affect others. That's why you can't just react, because you start reacting to things you're fearful of, it starts to affect others. 
when Abram came to Egypt, this is verse 14 to 15, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman, and when Pharaoh's official saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. She was taken into his palace. This is as bad as it can get. All of a sudden, his wife is taken away. The thing that he'd treasure most in life, he tried to save himself, and now the very thing he treasures most is taken away. That's why the Bible says he who wants to save his life will lose it. You try to save your life, you're going to lose what is actually most dear for, for you. Uh, we, you know, we're, we're having discussions about this sermon series, and I, I'm so thankful that people really get real in this church. We talk about get rock, get real, give it away. But, but numerous people have been saying, you know, this is, it's a challenging sermon series for me as we're talking about calling, and, and I know that God wants to bless me, but I'm so afraid that, uh, of what God might say because I might lose something. No, it's the, actually, it's the very opposite is true. If you try to save your life, that's when you start losing things. This is an upside-down kingdom. The crazy thing about God is you come and say, God, I give you everything. He goes, wow, then I'm going to give you so much more back. Right? Abraham, he left Ur of the Chaldeans, and he, he had some wealth and had some things. He ends up in Canaan. God says, ha-ha, now I'm giving you the whole land. I'm giving you the mother load. But he keeps going back to his own natural self. He's like, ah! Oh, no, things are going a little bad, so I'm going to run to Egypt. Now, when he does that, he's lost even his own little, little wife. All of a sudden, she's taken away. Don't try to save yourself. She gets taken into the palace. See, your decisions not to listen and to come up with your own plan will have a huge effect on you, and not just you, but on your family, your friends, your spouses. So here, here's what we talked about last week. We introduced the decision-making compass. Now this, think about, I, I want to show you how Abraham's decision or your decision when you come into a crisis could have been so different if Abraham would have applied the decision-making compass. Let's put this compass up again. Do you remember this? So, you know, a compass, it's always going to point north. You take a compass on your journey so you can always know you're heading in the right direction. What is due north? Due north is the Bible, the word of God. So Abraham could have looked, right? If, if Abraham had the Bible, unfortunately he didn't have the Bible like we do, but Abraham could have looked at the Bible and said, you know what? It's never a good idea to head to Egypt. Like that just, that just not gonna work. Man, when the, when the children of Israel got to Egypt, they ended up in 400 years of slavery. When, it's, when you're not following God, you're just doing your own thing, that is never good. So he could have, already seen, this is not going to be a good decision. Let's go to the second one, the voice of God. The voice of God. You know, Abraham could have gone, okay, what has God spoken to me? Is this going to Egypt a good decision? Okay, what has God spoken? Huh, God didn't speak this at all. Guys, I wonder how many decisions we make in life that totally messes up is if we just ask the question, did God speak this? We could totally circumvent the problems we end up in because he didn't speak it. But Abraham is not going back and reflecting. If God would have, if he would have reflected on the voice of God, he would have said, actually, God told me to go to Canaan. He didn't tell me to go to Egypt. God told me to give me all of Canaan. He didn't say he'd give me a, a, an acre in Egypt. So I'm staying here. Watch this. What if Abraham actually would have gone to community? What if he would have gone to, to Sarah and Lot? I bet they would have said, well, Abe, what what?" What, do you, what did God say? He said, well, he said he's going to give me this land. Well, why the heck are we going? Why are you dragging us into Egypt? Right? Well, you know, hey, what, 
what is uh what what do you think, Sarah, is gonna happen? Well, I, I don't know for you, for for me, I really actually don't want to be taken by Pharaoh. You know, that, that doesn't sound, but he didn't do it. He just made the decision and dragged her into that. Lastly, counting the cost. He could have counted the cost and said, you know, what happens when people, when you know, people go down to Egypt? Oh, they lose their wives. There, there's, there's mean people. There's mean people that just take what's not theirs. There, this, this is not good. Now, just let me, let me make a side note just for a minute because I actually really mean this. Uh, God is doing great things in Egypt currently, and they're great Christians in Egypt. So I'm, I'm going back and giving some illustrations from the Bible. We're not denouncing Egypt as a country. Actually, God's, there's an explosion of Christianity in Egypt. Praise God. I'm sure we'll plant all people's Egypt, so I just want to give that side note. Some, someone in here is like, I'm called to Egypt. This is really confusing me. Speaking of calling, um, I, I really want to encourage you to come this weekend to Commission Conference because it's this whole decision-making compass is what it's all about. Uh, the Bible says this, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And so there's a couple times as a church where we'll do these weekends like this and our, our mission trip where it's a weekend. And what I found, Steph and I were having lunch with a couple yesterday, their life had been rocked by, they had just moved in from a different state and they came to our conference and God just spoke to them and touched them with the power of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing like aligning yourself with the word of God, with the voice of God. You take a weekend, this has been used in the church for 2,000 years where you actually kind of do a retreat and you set aside a time to meet with God and God shows up. Why? Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Uh, it's also about being with community. So you're with community. Um, I think we had slides of all the different people that are speaking. Uh, just for you to know, this isn't just a conference. Can we put up those slides from, uh, of who's here this weekend? Um, this isn't just for people who are saying, I feel called to long-term work overseas. Uh, Rosemary Schindler Garlow, if you probably saw the Schindler's list, she's, she's the one who uh, carries that mantle now, and she's going to talk about every believer's calling to carry Israel. You want the blessing of God on your life? Start praying for the Jewish people. Start carrying Israel. Okay, that, that releases a, a, a blessing on you. Leanna Cinquinta, she's seeing these miracles around the, uh, around the world. She's seeing in the hardest place on earth, northern India, where there's the most unreached people group, she's seeing the, most, the greatest explosion of people coming to Jesus in the darkest places. Just when you hear these words, or Miguel, I don't, we don't even put his last name because he's, he's smuggling Bibles. He has the craziest, you want to have your mind blown by the craziest stories, uh, these people are doing amazing things, and when you come and you get these kind of things, it releases faith for you to do what you're called to do, for you to do, uh, well, also, uh, Neil Hart, he's talking about how God uses business uh, throughout the world, releasing businesses' mission. So there's, there's all of these different things. God wants to give you a miraculous calling. And you're going to be most blessed when you lock in on what God has for you, and this weekend's a great Time for that. Okay, let's go back. Go back, going back to the message, but you can tell I'm passionate. I encourage every person here to be a, at least a part of the conference. He treated Abraham well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. Okay, so this is where we're going. Oh, I need to tie my shoe. I counted the cost and falling down. 
It's going to be a little hard. Uh, here, here's where we got to have some sophistication. You look at the story and you go, well, actually, Abraham, this actually kind of went well. He goes into Egypt. Wife's taken away, but he sure got a lot of money out of that. That's pretty awesome. Can, can I explain this to you? What's a little complicated in life is just because you're being blessed in one area doesn't mean God is blessing your lifestyle. Or that just because there, there is some growth in one area doesn't mean that his blessing is on your life holistically. I'm not sure if you're getting that yet. Um, I got one. This, this happens in, in churches. Um, a, a, a church where uh, some, a, a leader could be, I, I've seen it numerous times, a leader is in sin, but the church keeps growing. So everyone goes and starts studying that church because they're like, certainly God's hand is on this leader. Right, I've seen this numerous times. The, the leader has character, and then later on it blows up. Right, Your sin will eventually catch up to you. Uh, j- just because someone's prospering financially doesn't mean that God's blessings on their whole life. Some things you can just do. For example, there's some drug dealers doing really well right now. But we're not to go and study their life. Man, you know, I, I would like to understand how you have this kind of financial blessing. Every time there is some kind of growth, it doesn't mean that God is blessing someone's whole life. There can be a Christian celebrity, and all of a sudden we're like, wow, I want to know what that Christian celebrity is doing. Well, there might be some fame on one aspect of their life, but their marriage is horrible. They're they're not raising their kids under the Lord. And, and, And so listen to me. Don't use one growth area in your life to justify your lifestyle of disobedience. Oh, God must be really proud of me because I just got a Ferrari. Yeah, but, but your marriage is blowing up and your kids aren't, aren't seeking the Lord and, you, and, and on and on and, and, and you're actually dealing unrighteously just because there's favor on one. God often, here's, here's the crazy thing, is the scripture talks about the gifts and callings of, of God are irrevocable. So God's anointing can be on someone's life, but it doesn't mean that they're obeying him. People can actually move an extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit. And so everyone goes to study them, and then you find that you're studying someone that's living an inappropriate life. So believers, we have to be sophisticated. Don't just take hook, line, and sinker every time someone looks like they're prospering. Right, we do it, but we do it over and over. We do it with athletes. We do it with Christian celebrities. We do it with with every church that seems to be growing. Oh, they must have the new corner on the market on following God. And then you open up the hood, and you're like, "Wow, there is a lot of junk in the trunk." Right? Just because there's an area that's prospering in your life doesn't mean that God is affirming your lifestyle. This is really important, and this is this is a whole a whole other level of maturity in understanding walking with God. But the Lord, this is Genesis 12, 17, but the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. Okay, so if I just went up to to kind of graduate school level when I started talking about there could be favor on your life, but your 
whole life might not be blessed by God because of the, the sin in your life. Now, here is a whole nother level. Abraham is in sin. He just went to Egypt. He just lied. He, did, he, he, he told a half-truth to say that Sarai was his wife. Then he let his wife be taken into the palace. Then he's getting blessed. And then God starts bringing this discipline on Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh is in, inflicted. Well, first of all, here it's very important what you do, man and woman of God, because your life affects other people. Okay? But, but let me give you some other just, just crazy revelation from Scripture. This is, this is amazing about being the people of God. Uh, three important lessons from Pharaoh's affliction. Three important lessons from Pharaoh's affliction. So as you know, Pharaoh got this serious disease. Number one, God is true to his promises. Number one, God is true to his promises. What do I mean? Genesis 12, 3. Remember when God calls Abraham and he says, whoever curses you will be cursed. Whoever curses you will be cursed. And a curse isn't just saying a bad word about someone or speaking some weird, strange voodoo over someone. He meant if someone comes against you, my hand's going to come against them. So Abram, even though he's wrong, Pharaoh comes and takes his wife, and so a curse comes on Pharaoh, this serious affliction. This is crazy. But God's word is true. God's laws always happen. Okay, so to the children of Abraham, he says, whoever curses you will be cursed. Okay, so let me just say again. This is why you want to be on the right side of Israel and the Jewish people. Let me just encourage you. Stand with Israel. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, like Scripture says. Don't come against the Jewish people. Why? Because this promise still stands. We want to bless them. We want to love them. We want to serve them. Even when they're wrong, even if there's the wrong things, you still want to bless and serve. Why? Because God said to Abraham's line, I'm going, I'm going to curse whoever curses you. Number two, God defends the line of Abraham. That's what I'm already talking about. That's, that's even why in our commission weekend, you're going to hear from, from Rosemary Schindler Garlow. That's who Stephanie and I went into Israel with, and she's just unpacking the blessings that come along with blessing Israel. In fact, every time there's a breakthrough in Israel, it releases global revival. So for us to, to see what we're believing for, churches planted in every nation of the world, we need to believe for the blessing of Israel, not just because we love the Jewish people, but also because we know that they are, they are central in God's plan. That's why I encourage every person in here, give, give to Israel, give to uh, some cause that promotes the blessing of the children of Abraham. Number three, and here's a big one, and this is where I'm going to broaden it, don't attack a man or woman of God. Please write that down. Don't attack a man or woman of God. This is becoming so prevalent in this day and age with YouTube videos and blogs. It's, it, people are, podcasts. People are loving listening to people that are taking shots at church leaders. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we just put them in a category that they're untouchable. Absolutely not. No, it's actually scriptural to confront someone, but confront them to their face so that they can change, repent, 
and walk in, in, the, in the presence of God. Don't make a, a, a career out of that. Don't make a ministry out of that. And you don't try to take them out. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people try to take out a leader and they end up in an accident, they end up with an affliction, they end up with a sickness, they end up with a disease. Do not, this is what David said about Saul. Saul, remember the, remember the scriptures in First and Second Samuel where Saul, King Saul, he turns wacky and he starts hunting David. And David has the chance, Saul comes into the cave and, and, and all of David's men are like, God's given you your enemy. And David, what does he say? No, I'm, I'm not gonna attack him. In fact, he felt bad when he just cut a little thread off his robe because he said, I will not strike the Lord's anointed. Why? Because the Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And the Bible actually says, make room for the Lord's judgment. You don't bring the judgment. Can I just save you and your family a lot of pain? Don't come after a person of God. And what I'm not saying is don't, don't actually go and have words with them. No, you, you, can, you can rebuke them. But don't try to take them out. Don't try to destroy their life. That is God's responsibility. Do you understand what I'm saying? So Pharaoh summoned Abram. Okay, so because watch this. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. Why have you? You done, what have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way. Right? I'm sure they sent him on his way. God is going to make sure now, so you were, you were looking and going, well, that's not really fair. Abram goes to Egypt, and, 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 he, and he gets rich. Oh, not really. Abram gets rebuked by the, can, can you imagine you're on vacation, and all of a sudden the president's meeting with you and rebuking you and escorting you out of the country? God's going to make sure that the man of God, that the woman of God gets rebuked. He's going to make sure they get disciplined. They're gonna make, he's going to make sure that they get sent on their way. That is the amazing thing. The Bible says this. The Bible says God disciplines those he loves. God disciplines those he loves. Listen to this in Hebrews 12, 6. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his sons. Some of you are like, man, I don't know why I just lost this job. Perhaps it's actually not the devil. Perhaps it's God disciplining you. Some of you, you've, you've, you've lost a lot of money, and you're like, man, it's just the devil's after me. But if you would really reflect on it, you're like, ooh, I probably shouldn't have made that investment, or I probably shouldn't have done that, or I was a little inappropriate. A lot of times, not all the time, but many times, the doors that start closing, the challenges that start coming are actually the discipline of the Lord. Why? Because he's trying to get us back to a place of blessing. He's trying to get us back to a place of Peace. Keep listening. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not the true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respect them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father's spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at a time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest 
harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've trained by it. Let me ask you a question, okay? We're, we're not staying in kindergarten church this morning, okay? We're growing into maturity. If you've ever felt disciplined by the Lord, would you raise your hand? Wow, that's most of us, okay? And it's not God being harsh. It's actually God wanting to get you out of Egypt. He's wanting to get you away from your enemies. Remember Egypt stood, said another word for Egypt was enemy. Another word for Egypt was trouble. He's wanting to get you out of trouble. He's wanting to purify your life. It says this, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Abraham started making decisions. It's kind of like this. I have just a little illustration. This is your life, right? This is your life. You're, you're, you're a vessel. But oftentimes, we, you know, we, we start feeling empty. We start going, man, what, what should I do? I start seeing a crisis. Well, I, I need to do something. I need to fill my life. And so we go to the world. Of course, the world is resembled by one of these red plastic cups at every party. <clears throat> and so we say, okay, I, I need something from the world. And so we go to the world and we start filling it up, right? Just, you know, this is just, I'm just going to the world, right? Just taking some earth and just put a little worldliness in me. So it, it seems good. And actually, it kind of feels good. Oh, I've got something. Now I've actually got something. Oh, it's, I'm not an empty cup anymore, right? But it's very different than, than what God wants. God wants to pour his living water into you. Now, the problem is you start pouring living water and you start mixing it with things of the world, Uh, it's not very good. Anyone want to try this? It looks like hot chocolate. It, lo it looks good. Right? Now, now, here's the problem. The Bible says this. Here, why, why is it a problem to fill ourselves up with just worldly decisions and things of the world? Because all of a sudden, you can't see. Right? I can't. Now I can't see. I cannot see through this. And the Bible says this, without holiness, you can't see God. Why do we want to live a holy life? Because the greatest fulfillment, the greatest satisf satisfaction is seeing God. There's nothing that's going to satisfy your heart more than seeing God. And when you see clearly, you make decisions that set yourself up for blessing. So let's, let's end this, this story here. What, what happens, um, what happens with, with Abraham? It says, then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Some of us need to realize, okay, I'm in a season of discipline, and I'm going to submit to this. Right, I'm, I'm in a season of discipline. God is, God is wanting, and, and, and what do we need to do? We need to let God start going, Oh, that, that, it feels rough, but you just let him start, oh, taking this out of you and putting it back. Oh, that hurts, that hurts. But he's pulling it out. He's pulling it out. He's pulling it out. Listen to this. So Abram went from Egypt. Put that map back up. He went from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. When you make a disastrous detour, don't just think you're stuck in this forever, right? Some, sometimes we do that. Well, I didn't obey God. I, I, I went on a detour, but I guess I'm stuck forever. No, learn from the life of Abraham. Repent actually means to turn and go the other direction. All right, can you see this map? 
Abraham, he's going this way. What does he do? This is the, the, the one most interesting part of this whole map to me. See, he was always going this way. Then he went here, and then he's like, oh, I made, a, I made a mistake. And so he turns, and this arrow goes back the exact opposite way. And he ends up in the Negev. Now, what's the interesting thing about a Negev? The Negev was a desert. Sometimes we make a decision, we repent and go the other way, and then things don't just open up immediately. And we say, well, it wasn't worth it to follow God. Some of you today, you need to realize, I went into Egypt, and it's time to turn around. And that's your act of obedience. But some of you today, you go, I turned around, but I just feel like I'm in a desert. Can I just tell you the desert doesn't last forever? You won't be in that Negev forever, right? Because what happens? What happens is then all of a sudden he goes back up to Bethel. It says this. Let me show you this scripture. It says from the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel. What does Bethel mean? The house of God. Let me tell you, men and women of God, if you made a mistake, if you took a disastrous detour, keep moving, Keep going. Don't stop the journey. Don't say, I'm, this is just a desert place. I'll never get back. No, if you keep going to place to place, you'll eventually get back to the house of God. Bethel means the house of God. It also means the house is one of the words for a house of bread. You will find God again. You will, and this is what it says there. It says he went place to place until he came to Bethel of Ai, where his tent had been earlier, where he had first built the altar. Some of us need to come back to our first love. You need to go back to where you met God. You need to go back, set out that time to seek him. Say, I'm gonna give a week, I'm gonna come for a weekend to commission God. I'm gonna, I'm going to turn back around. I'm gonna let go of some of that old stuff. I'm going to go back, and it says this, there he called on the name of the Lord. You call on the name of the Lord, and he comes rushing in. It doesn't matter what desert you've been in. It doesn't matter what Egypt you went to. You start calling on the name of the Lord, and he comes back. He puts you back on that path of blessing. Let's stand up.